Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hello, amigos, and welcome to this first episode of 2020. Hope you had a great uh, holidays filled with too much food like I did, and hope that you also had a great start of the new year so far. And if you're a new listener, I want to give you a special warm welcome to the show. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for tuning in. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Liana Hawkins. She's a best-selling author, a money expert, a consultant, a speaker, and she already made tons of appearances on on various uh, media outlets such as Bloomberg, CNBC, and Yahoo Finance, for example. She's indeed all over the place. She loves finance. She's passionate about it. And she also is passionate about helping people understand finance better. And today we'll discuss a few topics with Liana. We'll discuss uh, how millennials approach personal finance, the struggles of personal finance content creators on social media these days, the importance of investing in equities or the stock markets, especially at a young age. We'll then move on to a short discussion about the streaming wars, you know, the streaming services such as Netflix, Disney+, Plus. Apple TV Plus that have just launched in the US and that will come uh, to us in Europe uh, in 2020. So it, we'll have a discussion about that, how that affects the markets, the stock markets, etc. And we will end up the show with a few interesting passages uh, of her book, Young, Fun and Financially Free, which I highly recommend to any millennial wanting to start getting serious with their money management. All in all, it will be a very pleasant and uh, easy episode to listen to, especially as Liana is very good at explaining a financial concept in a simple way, in a simple manner. And she really embodies the young, fun and financially free spirit. This episode is for you if you're from the millennial generation and want to get started with your finances, but as well it is for you if you're interested into entering the stock markets but have just not made that first step yet. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Hello, Liana. How are you doing today? I'm great, John. How are you? Yeah, glad to have you again on the Johnny Talks. Uh, how have you been doing? I am good. I am hustling and bustling in New York, getting ready for the holidays. I just carried home a Christmas tree up 6th Avenue, about 30 blocks. And wow. <laughs> most people would think that that's crazy. But I just thought it'd be a good way to get some exercise today. So that's what I was doing earlier, running around meetings, phone calls. I'm um, gearing up for something really exciting with a new client. So just getting into that, um, which uh, we can talk about maybe at the end of the episode. And um, yeah, just running all over like a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. And uh, glad to have you back. So for the listeners, we already recorded an episode with Liana about blockchain and cryptocurrency. Uh, because Liana is working, has been in the active in the financial world for over 12 years. And I invited her again because she also um, wrote a book, Young Fun and Financially Free, and which deals with starting um, with your finances. And the book is addressed uh, two millennials, actually, correct? Yes, it is. It's for anyone, um, you know, usually early 20s to mid 40s kind of thing that is really wanting to start taking control of their financial life and getting to live their best life. And again, obviously, I mean, the only way you can do that is by having control over your finances, 
knowing what you really want out of life, what you want it to look like. So, you know, your top wants and needs. And uh, that's usually where I start with people is say, okay, look at your top three wants, your top three needs in life. And these things and how this all looks and how you envision your lifestyle is what I call your financial nirvana. So that version of your best life. And that's so different to everybody nowadays. You know, not everybody has that dream of, you know, what we say uh, here in America, like the American dream, the suburban house with two and a half kids and two car, two car garage and a white picket fence. Most millennials don't necessarily want that anymore. A lot of us are more urbanized. A lot of us don't plan on having children um, or are having children and getting married much later in life. So there's all these different things and ways that your your dream life, your best life, your financial nirvana could look like. But you really have to just sit down and say, okay, what are my top needs in life right now? What are my top wants? And what kind of money needs to go into those things for me to get there and start kind of planning around that? Because you can't get to where you want to go unless you know where you're going. Mm -hmm. Very good. And we'll touch upon your book a bit later on because I've read it and I had a few uh, interesting, there were a few interesting passages I wanted to comment and ask you to expand on. And talking about millennials a bit more, uh, Liana, um, um, how is their approach to personal finance? Well, uh, there's some very interesting statistics, actually, um, that I mentioned on, I have some, I call them the scary statistics. They're on my website, youngfunfree.com. And um, there was a, a study that was done of over a thousand millennials, um, and they said that of the responses to these financial, basic financial literacy and basic kind of economics questions that 69% of the millennials thought that they were, were equipped with the right information, the basics of money and economic knowledge mm -hmm. to be able to manage their income. But really when they were then tested after only 24% of them tested to be proficient in basic financial knowledge to do those things, you know, that most people have to do in the adulting world, as we say. So there's a real lack of financial literacy. Obviously, most of us don't get taught it in school, whether it's just money management, like spending and, and basic saving, or, you know, you go one step further with investing, which is something that, you know, you and I obviously have a really big interest in, and a lot of our, our audience does as well. Um, yeah, so you really have to know the basics and millennials just statistically aren't there yet. Mm -hmm. And why do you think that is so? Because one out of the four, I mean, for a developed country, I mean, it, it seems a bit, uh, it, it seems very low. So I, I don't understand mm -hmm. this. And why is that? Here's the thing. I mean, it's, it's a combination of things, mm -hmm. but so there's been sort of a shift in in dynamics of society from, let's say, the 1950s till now, almost 70 years later, going into 2020. Um, you know, women are now working and in the workforce and making money. And there's that shift in dynamic of households. So, you know, maybe back in the day, let's say, yeah, 1955. You know, the husband is the breadwinner bringing home the bacon and there's no Internet. There's no social media. Um, he is by society sort of required to be that breadwinner and the money manager and taking care of the household finances. And so without Internet or social media, he needed to go out 
figure out how to open up accounts, go talk to someone at the bank, go figure out, okay, well, we have to invest for our retirement and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he was sort of the the role of the person that had to do that. And women didn't have to do that. Um, and because he didn't have social media distractions or internet, it really forced people to physically go out there and do things and get it done themselves because they really couldn't just take home their paycheck and put the checks under the mattress. You had to physically go into the bank and they would physically tell you, okay, this is what you have to do with your money. This is what you need to start doing. So there was a lot more manual systems now because a lot of things are so automatic. Your money gets direct deposited into your account and you either spend it or it just sits there making no interest with interest rates we have today. Um, because you're not investing it. So you're essentially losing that two or 3% a year based on whatever inflation is at the time. And, you know, we just have a lot more automatics in our life. We automatically spend more through subscriptions and things like that, um, online shopping. And, you know, we're not necessarily getting the automatic education and understanding through basic things like what people used to have to do, like, yeah, walk into the bank and cash your paycheck. Um, and then that banker would say, hey, have you thought about starting an investing account? That's what everybody does to mm-hmm. save for retirement. So, yeah, I think it's a combination of those things, changing of gender roles where women are now making money as well. And, and they weren't necessarily expected to manage that money before or they didn't even make money before it typically in the household. Um, and, you know, and then, of course, just there's always, uh, you know, as Back in the 50s, 1955, whenever, there's always been a lack of financial education in secondary and post-secondary school from, you know, being an adolescent into early adulthood. So I think it's a combination of those two things. Yeah, very good. And I yeah, didn't expect that response, actually, but it, it makes total sense. Because mm-hmm. as well, Liana, you know, to, in the world of today, and um, you and I mo- met at FinCon, I mean, there are so many media outlets, books, uh, YouTubers, uh, podcasters uh, talking about personal finance. So there's so many resources, actually. There's never been so many resources and easy access to to that education. It's Well, that's the whole thing is that, you know, I say that in my book, gee, you probably saw it. There is so many resources, but with there's so many more distractions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, you're going on social media or going on the internet on your laptop to... Initially, you might say, okay, I'm going to research opening up a discount trading account online so I can just buy some ETFs that cover the broad market indexes, cover, you know, some emerging markets and get some exposure in different areas. Really that basic level of investing. That was your intent when you went on your computer or on your mobile phone to open an account and just start. But then you logged into Instagram and then Amazon popped up. They're having a sale. And then, oh, your Facebook and your LinkedIn notifications. Like, it's just distracting. And people find themselves also getting further away from reading. There's less people reading now, but there's more books than ever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, it's just it's a digital age and people are finding entertainment in so many different places. And unfortunately, those same places is where the education is. So if you're getting distracted by the entertainment and you're not necessarily going for the direct to the information that's going to be helping you grow your money and get to that financial nirvana stage, you know, you're not going to get there. Yeah, correct. And for example, for content producers, I mean, and even writers or educators, 
how can they get the attention of those people? I mean, do we need to all be, uh, I mean, create Instagram accounts or Twitters or whatever? Uh, what is, how, how can we get their attention on personal finance? I mean, I think that is a lot of it. I think if you do have content out there for the world to see and you want to help educate people, it's obviously helpful to have social media platforms like I do, like you do. Um, it's not necessarily um, an essential, though. I mean, you know, if you want to have just small community groups uh, for educational sessions and workshops in your own town or city where you live and you want to advertise that locally through word of mouth or local advertisements or something like that. I mean, you know, anything you can do to help others be educated mm -hmm. and living their best life is a great thing. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a, it's definitely a struggle. I'm sure you feel the same way I do and that it's a struggle for me. I'm sure it's a struggle for you, the content creation, the trying to make it exciting while it's still being educational. Like I have had a social media manager, um, Since I went on social media, I went on social media specifically for this, for financial education in anticipation of my book being released a couple, almost two years ago. And I've had a social media manager since day one because I'm not good at that stuff. I enjoy that stuff for the purposes of what it is, helping educate people and give them a better idea of their own features, of what they really, truly value and want out of their lives and how mm -hmm. they can get there. But man, it's, it's a hustle and it is, it's a lot of work. And sometimes, yeah, I mean, we're not showing cool, um, adventure travel videos or <laughs> girls in bikinis, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's tough to get that attention when you're putting a lot of work into the content. So I applaud anyone, you know, such as yourself that is out there, you know, really trying to help people. And, you know, most of us aren't making money off doing this. We just really want to help because we have this knowledge. And like I say, most people don't. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you open Instagram or whatever, I mean, let's say the average Joe, you know, he, he's not looking at uh, budgeting tips or uh, maybe at uh, looking at the uh, stock investing, etc. I mean, maybe the first interest is, as you say, okay, fast cars, I don't know what dream life, uh, tropical islands and uh, ladies in bikinis. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, how can we compete with that with financial literacy? It's been one of my biggest frustrations in life. It's so tough. Like there's the fashion Instagram models, um, yeah. you know, fast <laughs> luxury cars and formula one. I mean, you know, if I, if I didn't spend so much time on social media for my business and my work in, in finance, I'd probably be looking at the same stuff too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. And uh, yeah. And so that's a struggle. And, um, Or it's a battle, I would say. And then the, the so the the people that read your book, uh, Liana. So who are they? Uh, you know, there's a range. I think mm -hmm. um, actually on social media, I would say my audience is a little bit more um, people that want to start investing or have already started investing, and they're sending me DMs and messages asking about you know, buying Bank of America versus JP Morgan and what do I think is going to happen in emerging markets over the next couple of years and more specific investing questions. Um, I think a lot of the people that follow me though on social media or that read my book, um, and that goes for both. I think a lot of those types of people have read my book as well, but because my book is an overall money 101 book, it's really for anyone that has zero knowledge to people that are already investing because there's only one, I mean, I come from an investment background and a, a 
financial career background um, in marketing and sales and investor relations for Fortune 500, FTSE 100 companies to um, hedge funds and private equity funds, venture capitalism, alternative um, strategies and finance all over the place. So there's a lot of people that read it thinking that it might have more of the investing side, but it really only has one chapter on investing and then, you know, sort of the importance of investing because that's how you make your money go from, you know, your salary of $50,000 a year to 80 or 100 when you compound it and you're investing it for your future. That's how you get growth. You cannot grow your money any other way in this world then investing it. It can't just sit in your account and do nothing. If it sits there at all, if you don't spend all of it and live paycheck to paycheck, which that's the biggest problem for most people. So then there's people like that as well that really haven't started just getting good with money and Mm -hmm. like the money 101, much less even thinking about opening up a trading account or investing on their own or getting their their finances um, managed professionally by a, a financial advisor. Yeah, there's those people that are reading sort of the beginning chapters of the book that's like, you know, here's two different types of financial hopelessness, people that need to give their head a shake and like, just get your get yourself together. You got to stop spending it all. You have to put some constraints on yourself with however much income you have, depending on what you want that financial nirvana to look like. And then there's, you know, another group of people that maybe just need to break the cycle. They need, they grew up in a socioeconomic area where nobody ever expected anything better of them than to live paycheck to paycheck or to be on social assistance or to not go to post-secondary education because nobody else they know or in their family ever did. So there's people like that where, you know, that's, that's a lot harder. You're breaking your mindset of what you grew up with and what you were reared with um, from a child. So there's people that just need to learn those basic um, spending and saving skills and how credit cards work and things like that. So that's kind of why I say the book really has a whole range of people reading it. Mm -hmm. Um, But because I do come from an actual finance background um, and some of the more um, heavier financial fields, a lot of people, I think, follow me and connect with me to try to get some of that more investing information and insight. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit all over the place to make a long answer short. <laughs> yeah, but then it means that the people that follow you, it means that they had a genuine interest into knowing more. So, yeah. Of course. I mean, that's the whole thing. I think, you know, so I do have a business manager that I work with here in New York. And he manages sort of my relationships with financial institutions and brands that I want to partner with or do public speaking for and things like that. And, um, you know, in the influencer world, in terms of financial influencers, you don't need to have a ton, like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands or million followers on your Instagram or anywhere else to be really giving an impact and really helping a lot of people because number one, less people are going to DM you than any other type of account because people have a real shame around money mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily want, and especially the comments on my posts. I get, I get way more DMs than I get comments on, 
on my actual posts. That's a hundred percent for sure because people, they want to know the answers. And some of those people that are really driven to get to the next step and start investing or, you know, continue investing and really try to grow that nest egg that they have and that income that they're getting, you know, they'll send me a DM and ask me a question about something more specific or maybe a question about something I posted on my Instagram story um, or a post that I made. Um, to get more information. But yeah, you know, they're kind of shameful to put it out there in public and ask it as a comment on one of the posts because they're like, oh, well, shouldn't I know this? Doesn't everybody know the answer to this? Mm -hmm. No, if you're the one that's interested enough to even ask the question and learn more, you're probably already 10 steps ahead of the general public. So I try to encourage people that send me DMs to please post it on a comment in one of the posts because I can guarantee you if you're DMing me and asking me the question and you have the gall to do that, there's probably a hundred times more people than you that saw that post, really wish they knew the answer to that or had thought about it before, um, but they just didn't have the guts to post it as a comment and question or to even DM me the question. So. Yeah, and um, it's a fair, it's a very good point you're making there because as well, I've received a few DMs and for example, I had received one on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and some lady, I mean, she never asked me anything. And after three years, she's like, hey, by the way, you're the only one that I know who talks about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. I mean, I'm far from the only one, of course, and I'm far from being an expert, but I have the interest. But at least she reached out to me to ask me a question. So I mean, if I put uh, something on Bitcoin and cryptos or whatever topic, money, books, yeah, please, sure. Uh, yeah, make a comment. It's it's worth more than uh, sending me a DM. But of course, I will not stop you from sending me a DM. Please do so. I mean, I will gladly help. And I think uh, if you follow Liana, she will gladly help as well. But yeah, please make make comment on our pictures or on the stories, etc. It's It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, yeah, we always want people to still send questions because yeah, if you're one of a million people that's actually here doing it, motivated, wanting to learn more, like that's what we're here for. That's what we're giving all this effort to. So, you know, of course we'd love to have them engage publicly so that everybody else can benefit as well. But yeah, I'm willing to help anyone that's out there and asking. So thank you. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and, and Liana, we, uh, since you're, um, I mean, you, you have a strong financial background. I was wondering, what would you say to someone wanting to start investing in the stock market? Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Or how does one go about uh, doing that? Well, if you want to and you haven't started yet, you have to. It's funny. I actually did an interview once, um, a live TV interview. And one of the hosts said, <laughs> I hope they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I won't say what show it was. I won't even say what city I was in because that will give it away maybe. But, um, but yeah, this person was, was saying, oh, well, you know, um, yeah, investing is great and everything, but I, I've been invest, I've been investing for years. And this person was quite a bit older than me, maybe, you know, 15 years older than I am, I would guess. And, you know, saying, yeah, you know, I, I got burned by the stock market back in the day and I'll never invest any money in stocks again. All of my money is in real estate. And we we're on live and, and I said, oh, well, you know, that's, that's not really, you know, as we say, a great way to be diversified because, you know, having some investments in real estate's great, but 
the real estate market tends to move in cycles and move as a whole. And that is not a great way to invest your money. And I just couldn't believe it because I've actually never heard someone say that before. And we were live. I was like, and it's kind of hard because they're the host of the show. I mean, how can you tell them that they're wrong? Mm -hmm. But this person is 100% wrong. I mean, if you put all your money in the stock market, that's not good either. Again, you should be diversified. You should have some bonds maybe that are conservative and, you know, a guaranteed return at much lower return or treasuries or um, CDs we have here in the U.S., GICs in Canada, like guaranteed investment certificates that are going to give you, uh, you know, right now they're only going to give you like at most two and a half percent or something like that, but at least they're keeping up with inflation and then invest in stocks and then get some REITs and real estate investment trusts or, you know, buy a property and rent it out or something like that. Have an Airbnb running. Um, there's so many different ways to diversify, but if you are someone that's 40 years or younger, you're, I believe that your primary portfolio structure should be filled with equities because you have a, you know, again, depending on what your financial goals are, depending on what your risk appetite is and your risk profile, you'll hear that term a hundred thousand times a day on financial news media and networks. Um, but you really need to have stocks. Like you have to buy stocks because they, you know, big public companies around the world and utilities and, you know, energy and consumerism and um, consumer goods, groceries, all these kinds of things like uh, those companies are making the world turn and they have the highest in, they have the highest investment returns, really, of any class asset class of investments um, and equities, and st which is stocks. Uh, we tend to say that it is a more riskier uh, asset class to to invest in. So, you know, a lot of people, they might want to be like, I'm almost 100% equities right now because I sold um, real estate recently. And um, I'm actually holding a lot of cash as well, more than I'm usually comfortable with because I'm waiting for hopefully a recession at some point, which is so funny because you'll see on Instagram sometimes I reposted one of my stories the other day, like a funny photo of some guy looking all um, like he was hyperventilating and frothing at the mouth and just very excited, but looking crazy. And it just said, and the the quote above it is, Every every millennial waiting for the next recession to get into the stock market and buy real estate, which is pretty much exactly where I'm sitting at right now. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of you know a lot of young younger people are um, to you know sort of get stocks on sale, as we say. You know when there's a good buying opportunity, when the markets are down. Um, we've had some few, a few down days in the last month or so. I'll look for opportunities to pick up a few positions or add to some of my positions um, that I have in owning stock right now. But yeah, I mean, like because there's so much riskier than bonds with guaranteed returns or, you know, CDs and treasuries and things like that. Um, which, yeah, again, they're guaranteed, but not going to make you hardly any money. They'll mm -hmm. barely keep up with inflation you got to be invested in things that are going to actually bring money back to you for your retirement. And again, that retirement is decades away for you at this point, if you're in your 20s, 30s, or even early 40s. So you have a lot of time to recover from a recession if your stocks do go down. And the biggest point of importance with that is say right now, today, you put $10,000 in the stock market in an emerging markets fund, a 
U.S. like New York Stock Exchange, S&P 500 index covering the U.S. markets. And yeah, you just split it half and half emerging markets and covering the U.S. stock market. What if in 2021 we get a recession and they go down 25%, even 30%? Just don't touch it. That's, you know, that's the whole Mm -hmm. big thing. Just don't touch it. If you have a money manager, just tell them, don't sell it. You know, (laughs) I've got 30 years to retirement. I've got 25 years. I've got what, however many decades you have to retirement. That's the whole point of buying stocks is that it doesn't matter what happens in the next two years because you're a long-term investor. You're not a trader. You're not going to trade in and out of that ETF or whatever fund you invested in to get broad market exposure in emerging markets in the U.S. You're holding that for a very long time. And when we get those recessions and when we get corrections and bear markets, which happen Every year they happen all the time. You just can't sell. Yeah, correct. And actually, it's a funny, it reminds me of a funny anecdote of a few weeks ago here. I live in Luxembourg right now. And then since I just moved from Norway one year and a half ago, I just opened a a kind of a tax advantage retirement account. Mm -hmm. And before you open that, you need to go there and sign some papers that you, you know what you're doing, basically. And so, you know, you have to answer a few questions, which is, it's a legal, it's a kind of compliance questionnaire, you would say. And then they ask you, yeah, do you know about investments, about stocks, etc.?" So, of course, for me, it's, uh, I get a straight A on the, those, those questions. <laughs> and there was a question, for example, and the banker asked me, okay, so, okay, you put 10,000 euros, but you get, there's a market correction of about 20%. What do you do? Do you continue to invest? Or do you um, or do you sell everything? And so I said, well, I'm buy um, I'm buying more. Is that an option? I said, oh yeah, that's a point C. So okay, you know all these kind of questions. She was surprised. She's like, well, you're confident. Well, I said, well, you know, if the market, the average market returned seven percent for about a hundred years ago, okay, past prediction doesn't mean that it will continue like this. But normally, I mean, I can expect. Uh, about seven to eight percent growth over the long haul, so I'm not too worried. I mean, and she she looked at me surprised. I'm like, well, yeah, it's basic. It's not basic, but it's this is what the stock market does. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's the thing. It is basic, and once you hear it once or just a couple times, like even though you know you obviously have a lot of financial education and background, so do I. But this is the kind of stuff that for everyday people, whether you're a nurse, an engineer, um, you're you're working the railway, you're doing whatever your job is that has nothing to do with money and finance. That is that's that's a really basic thing that as an adult, you need to know. And like it literally this is the adulting stuff Mm -hmm. that you don't learn in school. And yeah, they didn't teach that to you in in you know, grade one through 12, or when you were in post-secondary school for engineering or nursing or, you know, trades, or if you work at a supermarket, you didn't learn that. So these are the kind of things that people really have to educate themselves on. And unfortunately, it's like nobody, I always say, nobody's going to create your dream life for you or your financial nirvana where you're comfortable and you feel free and happy in your finances. No one can do that for you except for you. As an adult in your 30s or your 20s or 40s or wherever, it's like your parents, your parents can't manage your income for you anymore. 
you're managing it all now. So whether your parents knew anything or they knew nothing and they have no money for retirement either, like a very big majority of the rest of the world, you know, it, it's your responsibility now to learn the basics like that. Like, hey, there's recessions and corrections all the time. To be able to make seven, nine percent, you know, that kind of return in your money that your hard hard earned dollars that you're going to work every day for, you have to invest in stocks. And you gotta be prepared when you invest in those stocks and those funds that, you know, with those corrections and recessions, it is going to go down. And if you log into your account or you go ask your financial advisor, hey, what are my balances looking like? What are my returns looking like right now? They will be down. And the important thing is to just know that you're doing the right thing by being invested, stay invested, and in the long term, you will be so happy that you did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you got to do it for yourself. Like literally no one can drill into your brain these super basic things um, other than you going out and finding the information or hopefully just hearing a podcast like this. And then really like my whole thing is to to tell people something like that and make it not such a big deal. Like, okay, here's the facts. It's really not a big deal. Okay, if you're going to log into your trading account every day, your financial advisor platform or whatever through your bank online, and you're going to look at those balances every day, yeah, it's going to freak you out when you see they mm -hmm. go down 20%. Um, but you just have to know that it historically, believe in the historical returns, believe in the statistics, that it will not be that way forever, and you will be fine for retirement and your long-term goals, maybe, you know, saving up for a down payment for a home or something like that as well. Um, if that's what your goal is and you just have to know you're doing the right thing and just take it easy, like just chill. Yeah, Learn. absolutely. Very, yeah. Like very basics. Don't go watch CNBC or Bloomberg and be like, oh my gosh, how am I going to learn all this stuff? You, do, you don't even need to know 1% of what they talk about on TV. You don't even need to know 1%. So hopefully anyone that's listening to this that is extremely overwhelmed by finances and what they see on TV or what they hear in publications or magazines or the newspaper with the finance section, you don't even need to know 1% of it. You just have to know real basics. Now, when I talk to my friends and my entourage in general, and I, of course, I mentioned my podcast and my blog, and they say, yeah, but stocks, this and that, and yeah, but you need to watch every day. I said, no, I watched maybe Okay, I follow it up, but like I follow it up every quarter or every month or, but not every day. I mean, I said it's useless, but okay, I think it's, it's as well, it's a habit. Eh? It's, it doesn't come straight. I mean, probably the people that will just start to open a, an account, they will watch it closely every week or every day in the first days. But then with time, you will, you will space out your, your, the, the, the I mean, the time you check it, you know? Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. At least that was my experience when I started. And just a uh, just a last question to to close this chapter, uh, Liana. Uh, we you mentioned index funds and S S and P five hundred and um, emerging markets. But do you would you also recommend to in invest in individual stocks? Um, for sure. I think you know if you I do. I think if you have the education the understanding too then you should but that is by no means a place where anyone should start which is also why it's difficult to listen to the financial media sometimes because they do 
generally speak very specifically about different companies and how to invest in them or not how to invest in them, just investing in them? Or do you have a, a buy or a sell or a hold call on this? Or what are analysts <laughs> doing? Are they have analysts upgraded the stock? I mean, they don't talk like that for ETFs that are just covering the general you know, emerging markets funds or the U.S. like S&P 500, which are the 500 biggest companies, uh, public companies funds. You know, I mean, I like to say to people that are just getting into investing, like this is what those kind of things mean, which is why funds are really good. You know, an ETF, an exchange traded fund is a fund that is has a very, very cheap management fee, like less than half of a percent. So super affordable, super cheap. And, you know, there's a million different ones of ETFs, like Uniscool, ETF, S&P 500, and you'll find some ones that are worth trillions of dollars, or they have trillions of dollars of people's money invested in them. And you would buy something like that if you are, say, 30 years old, and you think in 35 years when you're 65, if you believe in the general prosperity of the American economy, which the 500 biggest public companies in them in the American economy is the S&P 500 stocks. If you believe in the general prosperity of the American economy, that it will be much further advanced in 35 years when you retire, if that's your, your goal for this money for investing, than it is now, then you should buy a fund like that. Um, and that will be a very good basic place for you to start with your investing. Um, and then, you know, maybe a year down the road, or a year and a half, two years down the road, you can start doing some more research about how to research individual stocks that you might have an interest in or, you know, other ETFs because there's other ETFs as well. I mean, we like to say there's an ETF for everything. There's an ETF for the luxury fashion sector. There's an ETF called PETS, P-E-T-S, that only invests in um, great companies that help, you know, serve you and your pet's life because, you know, I'm a dog mom and I love my dog and most people have animals really love them and spend money on them. You know, there is an, e there's millennial ETFs. There are literally ETFs, lots of them that are made specifically for millennial investors on kind of those m millennial themes like Amazon and Netflix. And, you know, there really is an ETF for everything. So maybe instead of going and jumping right from index funds covering emerging markets, you know, the U.S., Canada, wherever else you want to have investments in or be investing in those general economies really through one of these funds, you can start buying some more trending specific um, ETFs. Like I have ETFs in the cannabis sector, in um, artificial intelligence, in gaming, in cars and electronics in yeah fashion there's i have tons of different kinds of etfs within my portfolio personally so yeah i mean there's really an etf for everything and that's a, a nicer entry into jumping straight into individual stocks it also gives you a lot better diversification and somebody is managing that fund for you for super cheap like i say less than half of a percent yeah excellent and uh, now that i didn't know there were uh uh, ETFs for millennials, but okay, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're like, their management fees are, you know, between point, um, like 30, 30 bips, we say 30 basis points. So like a third of a percent to half a percent or, you know, just a little bit more than half a percent. So they're super cheap. I mean, a lot of them, like I say, have a lot of those growth names, which are pretty highly valued right now is the only, um, 
comment I would make on that. Again, we're not going to be in specific investing advice or opinions on this podcast. Um, but yeah, a lot of them hold those big growth names, which are looking pretty expensive right now. So that's the only thing I would be aware of. But really, the ETF space is is so cool. I just I can't believe how much it's developed in the last 10 years. And yeah, there's really cool ETFs out there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for those valuable tips and uh, insights. I mean, like, for example, the millennium, the millennial ETFs, which I didn't know about. And as well, you were recently featured on Yahoo Finance uh, talking about the streaming wars of all the, the big companies, Netflix, Disney, Apple, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something I wanted to discuss with you uh, just to not to give specific stock advice on those companies, but just to, to have an idea of where this is going because okay now it's in um, I mean uh, Disney Plus launched in the US and um, I think it's as well in Holland um, last weekend and this will come over as well in Europe like I think the they will launch in France Spain and Italy in March and then they will roll into more countries in uh, in Europe later on and then okay we already have Netflix which is big here as well and then uh, Apple Plus just launched as well here in Europe so Can you tell us a little bit more and guide us through this jungle of streaming wars? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, Disney shares when I was on, uh, I host the Yahoo Finance Wi-Fi PM show um, every month. I'm going to be on there again on December 5th, if anyone wants to tune into that live um, for an hour. So, you know, over the hour we spoke we about tons of topics, um, but streaming wars that day, Disney shares were up 8%. Um, since their launch of uh, the Disney Plus. And, you know, Netflix was also up that week. And I think it's because, you know, there's just a general trend and belief that, again, more people are going to be leaving cable and just going straight to streaming-only services. Um, the Disney, Disney Plus had 10 million signups in their first week. So, I mean, their streaming services, there's obviously demand for it. I think that their market is very different from the Netflix market. So, mm -hmm. obviously, Disney programming has all of the things that are family and child-friendly. So, you know, that might be a nice add-on to Netflix households because Netflix is more targeting the teenagers and the parents. Um, but, you know, for an extra, I think it's $5 a month or, or $6 a month, they can get Disney Plus. And then, you know, they can entertain their kids and their nieces and nephews and grandkids when they're over as well. Um, but, you know, although it is a different consumer base for those two specific different services now, you know, what happens when Netflix says, hey, you know, we can't, if we want to keep driving our membership growth and people keeping our memberships, uh, we need to start developing some more child-friendly content. I mean, they do have a family section on there and some kids sections, but some of the stuff that's newer and exciting that kids really want to get. So people aren't going over to Disney because Disney is also going to develop their adult content as well, I'm sure. And that's where we really get into the streaming wars, as we call it, where who's going to start developing content that is that is trying to take market share from the other uh, competitors category and you know the cost of creating content is also increasing um, it's becoming very expensive for Netflix and everyone to to create TV shows and movies that aren't on cable networks that are only for their streaming services um, Netflix also reported recently and their memberships are slowing. So they've seen a slow in their growth. I don't know how you feel about Netflix's content, 
but I don't really watch my Netflix much anymore. Like there's not, they, they have a lot of their kind of campy comedy, kitschy little, um, unique <laughs> kind of shows mm-hmm. that are the Netflix shows. Uh, and I've watched a few of them and a few of the movies, but a lot of them aren't great. Um, they haven't had a really great big new release in a while that I'm aware of. And yeah, I'm not loving Netflix, the content that much anymore, but it is getting expensive. You know, there's also other competitors that are coming out of the woodwork. You know, NBC has streaming, there's Apple TV, which was pretty new as well. And that Apple TV is definitely going to be developing their content further. And I'm sure that they're going to see membership um, subscription growth as well. HBO is coming out with a streaming service next year. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of competitors for both adult and children, um, child consumers and the cost of content and content creation is only going up. So I don't know. It'll be really interesting. I think to see where these companies go in terms of their content, their balance sheets, um, in terms of their costs and their subscription growth and, you know, how that plays into the valuation of these stocks that a lot of them, yeah, they're already valued as growth stocks. So I don't know. I don't really know how much further they have to run. I am not an analyst in the sector, so I don't have that strong of an opinion about each of them really individually, but it will definitely be something interesting to watch. What What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I don't have specific thoughts and I'm probably the worst clients for this um for these um, streaming services, because, okay, I have Netflix right now, but it's like a love and hate. Not, It's not love nor hate, but, you know, I, I subscribe for two months and then I, I don't watch Netflix for eight months, for example, just because I don't have time. Mm-hmm. I mean, or I don't prioritize it. And right now, the last thing I watched was a, actually kind of a, I like the documentaries, though. Yeah. Which is the thing I watch the most, and I've watched... And for the rest, I don't watch much. And then sometimes I watch, but then I, okay, I, uh, I get fed up simply or I, I, I feel I'm wasting my time and I'm just not so entertained anymore. I mean, I, I went to watch the, the Joker uh, at the movies. I loved it and I'd like to watch it again, maybe when it's on streaming, but otherwise, you know, I'm not, I'm not so excited anymore for uh, movies. And mm-hmm. that's me personally. But then regarding the, the topic again, the stocks or the, um, the streaming wars. Well, here in Europe, we, so Netflix is quite popular and most of the people have it. It's pretty common. And, you know, Stranger Things was a big hit, for example. So Netflix got a lot of viewers. Um, I don't have specific numbers, but then now we we will receive Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus, and Disney will come. I think Disney will be a big hit as well for family with kids, as you say. And as well, there's the Star Wars touch to it. Right. Yeah. So that will capture quite some market share, but then I don't see how uh, Apple TV plus differentiates itself from the competition here. Uh, I don't know if you have views on that, but I mean, I'm very excited to see because, and as well, I have uh, individual stocks from uh, some of those companies. So I'm also excited about that to see where, how it will all play out. But uh, yeah, I'm mostly interested to see what, yeah, what lens, how the landscape will look like. Yeah, I mean, it, I I haven't used the Apple TV myself, but um, I mean, they're not stupid. <laughs> Apple <laughs> is going, I just, I mean, for lack of a better description, yeah, Apple is not stupid and they have tons of cash 
to invest in their streaming. And I'm sure that, you know, they wouldn't have launched it if they didn't want to dominate. And I expect that they will. I expect that they'll do well. I don't know what kind of content they're coming out with. But yeah, I'm sure that they're forced to be reckoned with. So it'll be really interesting. To, it'll be really interesting to see. Do you, um, would you mind disclosing which stocks that you own and what, what your sort of theory was when you bought them? Because I do say if anyone is wanting to buy an individual stock mm -hmm. um, or anything, a fund, you have to have a reason why you want to buy it. And you have to have a reason why you would sell it what would be your reasoning for selling that stock or that fund ever? Um, you know, a lot of people, like if you're just buying those funds, ETFs that cover the the main indexes, the main markets around the world for 30 year, 40 year long-term growth, um, you know, you might just want to say retirement and I think it's going to keep growing forever. But in what circumstance would you sell them? <laughs> well, um, I'm, um, I hold some positions in Apple and in Disney. So individual stocks. And why? Okay, um, so for Disney, I read a few articles and I knew they were going to launch this streaming services two years ago or one year and a half ago. I think I saw a few articles. It was as well in the period where I wanted to invest myself in more dividend-paying st uh, stocks. So, and I thought Disney was a great fit because one, uh, I'm, I mean, you have the parks, you have the streaming services, the content is huge, and I don't see it going away in the next 15 20 30 years so for me this is like this is this sounded like a great investment at the time and actually when i bought it was a bit in a dip kind of and then um, yeah but i read a few articles i checked the financials and it looked good for long term so i was like okay i'm gonna put a little bit of money into it and we'll see the we'll see the how it goes and for now i've been I mean, if we just look at the valuation without the dividends, yeah, I've been gaining uh, almost 50%. And it's a stock, you know, for me, I love it. I, I, I will keep it forever. As, I mean, it looks good for now, but I mean, I will keep it. I wanted to keep it for a long time. And I want, and I have, uh, I think I've added up a little bit, uh, yeah, two months ago. So yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in uh, Disney. And regarding Apple, this was one of my first uh, purchases. Yeah, I, I didn't really do much analysis on it. I, I thought, look, I might as well buy into this company. It looks good. It pays dividends. But that was like four years ago or something. So it was when I started my journey. So I wanted just to invest in a few companies. And okay, this, this on this one, hey, let's be honest. I didn't do my research properly, but I've been keeping uh, investing over the long haul. So it's uh, it, it turned out well as well. But for now, I see it more like, yeah, it's it's great. It's a great company. It pays a dividend. They're always forward thinking. Let's see how the streaming wars, where it, that will lead them. But yeah, I didn't do my research. Guilty me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I have uh, I have hope for the long-term future for those. So um, I'm sure you're, you're pretty well set. And you've held them for a while. So it's not like you're buying at the height of the valuation. So Good for you. Yeah, thank you. And Liana, so um, you wrote this book, Young, Fun and Financially Free. So I've read it. So thank you for sending me a copy. I really enjoyed it. And I thought it really fitted well. Uh, the format and the tone uh, really fitted well. The, I mean, millennials trying to get more interest into their finances. 
Well, that's the whole goal. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I hope so. And um, 100% of the proceeds of the book go to the WE charity, which provides um, income and economic stability opportunities for villages that they build build in third world countries, primarily in Kenya. Um, So I think it's important to know and just sort of give a reminder to everyone that hears about the book or reads the book that, you know, if you think you are in a bad financial position right now, whatever that may be, if you are living in a Western civilized country, you have a hundred times more the opportunities to change your financial life, turn your life around and live that financial nirvana, whatever that may be for you. More than hundreds of millions of people around the world that will probably never be able to get out of their circumstances of which they were they were by luck born into. Um, so I think that that's why it's really important that the money go to charity for the book and yeah, it's on Amazon and, and all that. So I would hope that anyone listening to the podcast would love to have you buy the book. Um, it's available worldwide and, um, yeah, I think it, it, it's just a great organization to be tied to. It's called the we movement. Yeah, no, I'll link it all up in the show notes and I've read it. It, it's, it's very good. I think it's very practical. It's short. And as well, there are some aspects that you touch upon, which I didn't find in other personal finance books. So it's really an added value because first, what I really liked is that you start with the mindset. I mean, most personal finance books start with budget, budgeting, etc. And not always with the, okay, getting, defining your goals, etc., which I really liked. And there's one topic because I don't want to describe everything and people can find information on Amazon, etc., but there was one topic I wanted to um, maybe expand more is the the dream team. Right. Yeah, that's one that people don't talk about. But again, it's a huge part of adulting, knowing, you know, who you can reach out to for advice. And, you know, I say the, your dream team that you build in your 20s and 30s or as you're going through different life experiences is those people in different areas of your life that you know, I hope a lot of you don't have to need them like I have, but you might have to reach out to. So, you know, when I was in my 20s, and that's actually another reason why I wrote the book. Um, I wrote the book when I was 29 before I was 30, because I I kind of thought, and you know, maybe not compared to everyone, but compared to a lot of my friends, I had been through lawsuits and three different house floods and robberies and just Wow. Crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and that's just, you know, on the public, you know, sort of the public stuff. And there was, you know, a lot of personal things that um, went on hardship, hardships in my life um, throughout my 20s. And throughout these different experiences, what's nice about having those things happen in your 20s is you got a lot of time to bounce back. You know, same thing as investing in the stock market. Mm-hmm. You buy equities and stocks And, you know, if there's a recession or, you know, a long depression, you have a lot of time to recover because you're still young. Um, And that's why we say to buy stocks when you're young. Um, And so you can see those multiple years of compounding returns. But back to the whole dream team thing. So by the end of my 20s, I had been through all these crazy situations and I had built up, 
you know, insurance advisors I was using, lawyers for different things, accountants for different things for business and personal. Um, my mortgage broker was such a great tutor to me when I was 21, teaching me all about real estate investing in houses and mortgages and how you can write off the interest of your mortgage against your, your income tax. And, you know, all these different things that I learned through good situations, like buying my first home really young and making some good money off that, some good returns um, until uh, my early 30s. And, you know, bad things as well and how to recover from them, bounce back. You know, there's that's something that a lot of motivational speakers talk about is like the bounce back effect. And some sometimes things have to go wrong before they go right. And you really have to have that um, ability within yourself to be able to bounce back from negative experiences. And when those negative experiences happen, having a network, a, a dream team of people of support around you is so valuable. So that's why it's really important. You know, if you're if you ever have a question about something when it comes to investing or accounting, or you might want to buy your first apartment or anything like that, reach out, talk to people, ask your parents, or your uncle or aunt or friends of friends who've already bought places. Hey, what realtor did you use? Hey, did you use a mortgage broker? I hope they did because they can usually get you way better rate than walking into the bank. Um, but they can, you know, reach out and start talking to some of these people and you may not even to need to be using them right now, like a lawyer or whatever. But if you have a question like, Hey, okay, so I just bought my first apartment. Um, my neighbor's apartment got broken into and flooded and they got sued for like over millions of dollars. Like, wow, they had to get a lawyer. It was a whole mess. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh. I just, I just bought my first place. How do I prevent that from happening to me? Well, maybe you should go talk to your neighbor and maybe they want to give you a referral to their lawyer, or their insurance adjusters or, you know, their insurance brokers to make sure that you have proper renter's insurance and proper owner's insurance if you're owning the place. Um, like the example I just gave, because, yeah, you should probably make sure that doesn't happen to you. Um, and I'm just giving an example of something that may or may not have happened to me. So <laughs> like crazy stuff in this world happens. Um, you know, and that's why, you know, when it comes to finances and stuff, it is not always your fault. I think people get that, that, you know, the crazy stuff happens, you have to deal with it. That's why having an emergency savings account is so important. That's one of those basic kind of money one-on-one things that everybody talks about having three to six months or even nine months, if you can saved in cash in case something major happens. Um, and you know, you lose your job immediately. So you don't have to put those kind of expenses on your credit cards. Cause then you got to pay, you know, 15, 25% interest on those purchases or that save that medical save or whatever it was saving you from having to, uh, go into a really bad situation. So yeah. And having those dream team that those people around you, most of those people that I have in my life have been around yeah for 10 years or something since I started doing adulting activities in my early <laughs> 20s and yeah oh my gosh a lot of them were so negative and it sometimes you know the last few years it just felt like they were happening one after the next and they were but I think it has made me a stronger and more knowledgeable adult for it now going into my 30s mm -hmm. and yeah hopefully some of the the stories and experiences in the book Will help other people as well. I mean, there's there's also not even just your dream team, but just in terms of the bounce back 
which is such an important thing. Like I have a story in my book about um, Steve Harvey, the comedian. Most people know him. He has his own show, um, you know, world famous comedian, actor. And um, I mean, Steve Harvey, I met him three years ago. Now I met him at a financial conference and um, yeah, he's such a great guy. And, you know, most people don't realize Steve Harvey was homeless until he was almost 40. I mean, he had had a wife and kids, two babies he had left behind to go try to make it as a comedian. And then, you know, they were kind of out of touch for a while because he was homeless, living in his living in his beat up car, trying to get a stand up gig for 50 bucks. And he was like 38, 39 years old. He didn't get his first big, big break until his early 40s. He started performing in New York. So, I mean, there's a lot of these stories of celebrities that people find so um, inspirational now and unattainable. But unless you really dig into people's stories, you don't know. Like you, most people have no idea. I mean, he's extreme. He's extremely wealthy, a huge celebrity now. But yeah, I mean, you can have a comeback at any age, and you can have a bounce back at any age. Same thing. And it's really important to read and hear some of those stories. So I've included some inspirational stories of people that I know, um, celebrities and non-celebrities in that book as well, just to give some inspiration. Because I do think inspiration is really, really important. Inspiration, seeing that other people have been able to bounce back as well, and then the action steps to be able to get to where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. And in your book, there's as well, just, I want to just end up with that. It's um, seasoned with really interesting quotes. I will just read one because it really, <laughs> because I met you and uh, I mean, I follow you as well on Instagram. So uh, I, I know you personally, so it, it really makes it funny for me. But there, <laughs> there was uh, this one quote that I really uh, enjoyed. We want everything so fast that we are the ones becoming slower, slower mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And the man that said this is none other than Pitbull, the singer on the Tony Robbins podcast. But <laughs> I really like the quote, first of all. Yeah. It's actually great. But as well, you know, it's a bit, you don't expect those kind of quotes or from those people, let's say, in a personal finance book. And there are some from Mark Twain, etc. It's really funny. Yeah, um, that's the whole thing. I mean, actually, you know, it's I honestly, I heard him on Tony Robbins podcast two summers ago while I was writing the book. And I was like, that quote is amazing because that's exactly what I was speaking to at the very beginning of this episode about how, you know, we didn't in the 1950s, men that were managing the family finances, they didn't have this fast, 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 automatic information life. They got a physical paycheck and they had to go to the bank and do something with it. And at the bank, they would say, okay, here's how you learn about investing. Here's our pamphlet about it. There's the advisor, go talk to him about it and then go do something with your money to invest it. And people did that and that's how they learned. But now you're not walking into the bank. You're not walking in and someone's not telling you, go talk to that guy about it. He'll teach you. There isn't that system anymore and our brains are becoming slow. We're not reading enough anymore. Um, yeah, so it really feeds into that whole thing. Okay, very good. So Liana, thank you so much for uh, all your valuable insights on the podcast. I think it will help many people. And before we head off, I always uh, ask three quick fire questions to all my guests. And the first question to you is, what is your best investment so far? Actually, of all things, um, well, no, I can't say, you know what, honestly, most of my stocks that I've invested in mm -hmm. are what we say unrealized gains because I don't sell them. 
I'm a very long-term investor. Um, my best performing stock to date, it would have been Apple if I didn't sell Apple when I was about 26. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I have held Bank of America since the last recession in, I think, 2010. End of 2009, beginning 2010. I mm -hmm. bought a bunch of shares at Bank of America, and they're up like 500%. Wow. <laughs> Something crazy. Um, yeah. Okay. Don't quote me. That could be wrong. But no, but it is by far the best performing stock in my entire portfolio. Aside from that, um, real estate has done me very well. I've doubled my money on my real estate investment recently that I sold last year. Um, and yeah, that was a fantastic decision as well. Something that I bought uh, in fall of 2010. So, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't, that was in Vancouver, Canada, didn't get a huge correction in the real estate market there, but I did get a good deal, um, for, for what it was. And yeah, almost doubled my money, uh, in about eight and a half years. So oh, good. Yeah. So that was really good as well. And I'm looking to buy another place now. I love real estate. I find it so exciting and I'm addicted to HGTV shows where they flip and flip and flop <laughs> yeah. and flip, flip and whatever, uh, renovations and stuff. I love doing that. So not myself. I'm a delegator. I manual labor is not my thing, but I'm very good at hiring people that are not too expensive and are good at what they do. Part um, of your dream team. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. The realtors on my dream team, the contractors, Oh, there's so many people that you need on a dream team. So yeah, all really important sources of information. And yeah, like something like that. Perfect example. Contractor and realtor can tell you, hey, where is the most important place to put my money when renovating my home? Because, you know, I really hate my bedroom carpet. I'm going to get a new carpet and I want the nicest carpet and I'm going to spend $10,000 on carpet in my bedroom. Well, a realtor or a contractor would probably tell you that when you're going to sell a uh, detached home or an apartment or townhouse, whatever it is, that the bed that the bedroom carpet doesn't really matter much. No one's gonna care if you have some luxury carpet in your bedroom. It's the bathrooms in the kitchen. So focus on the bathrooms in the kitchen, have a neutral color on the walls, um, yeah, do some new painting, like stuff like that. Those are the dream team people. You gotta yeah, you gotta get your team together. Very good. And second question, uh, what is your favorite book? What is the book you would recommend to anyone? And it does not need to be financial. Mm. Um, I'll give two. One is quite female specific. I was just reminded of it the other day. Um, years ago, I read the biography and sort of stories from Diane von Furstenberg. Do you know who she is? She's the, it's a, she's a fashion icon and she's had a, a company called DVF, Dan von Furstenberg, for decades. She's probably in her mid seventies now and her biography and sort of book of stories of business and the business of fashion and her life growing up is called the woman I wanted to be. That's a very, very good biographical and business book. Um, I have an entire list of books in my phone, actually, I'm looking at right now. Um, oh, one of my most recent favorites, my absolute number one mentor is Ray Dalio, the investing legend. He has come up and come down and back up again in his career, um, a couple different times and, you know, he's completely self-made billionaire and his newest book called principles is 
incredible principles on life and principles on business um, and how people should be working together and living together. And yeah, principles by Ray Dalio is amazing. Um, I'm also reading like such a classic right now, the alchemist. Have you ever read it? I actually had never read it until this month. No, I, I haven't read the alchemist, but I think I will definitely add the Ray Dalio book on my list. That's for sure. Oh yeah. And they're all available on audio too these days too. So yeah. a lot of books. Um, sometimes I'll, you know, um, Unshakable by Tony Robbins. I say that's kind of like a step two of the investing side of my book because it's a collection of him interviewing guys like Ray Dalio, um, Ben Bernanke, and you know all these other investors and economics experts, and putting it into a book that's actionable steps toward investing and investing intelligently through the works and theories of, of these people. So yeah, that's available on audio. They're all available on audio too. So, you know, go for a walk outside, get some exercise, get your brain active. Um, health is wealth is a huge thing I talk about all the time. So yeah, go for a walk or bike ride or something and listen to one of these great books and be inspired to go get that financial nirvana. Yeah. And, uh, I really like, um, I have subscribed to, to Audible and it's great because it helps me read more faster. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You can get through a lot more that way. Yeah. Very good. And then the last question it's, um, what is the best purchase you have made for under a hundred dollars? Uh, oh, this is a tough one. <laughs> oh, oh, there's so many things I was just going to say, but then I was like, no, my dog was like, his adoption was 300. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my iPhone, that's such a good source of information and organization and entertainment, but no, that was more, you know what? I would say my pillow that's specific for side sleepers because sleep is such an important thing. This is another amazing, um, book, amazing person, company app is thrive by Ariana Huffington. Mm -hmm. Um, and in Thrive and her and it's her her new company. They have an app. It's all talking about how to balance your lifestyle and your work life and financial demands, children and spousal demands. Um, and we really only can thrive in an environment when we're well rested and we have a clear head. And we're also giving ourselves daily activity and exercise and healthy nutrition. Again, it ties really all into the whole health as wealth that I talk a lot about on social media as well, because to be able to be motivated and driven to make the right financial decisions, to learn those basics, the 1% of all the stuff in the financial and economics world that you need to know to really be successful as an individual investor, an individual person um, who has an income and needs to manage it. Um, is that health as well stuff. You got to feed your brain and your body and you need to move and exercise and get your endorphins going and get your mind energized um, to be able to make those kind of decisions. So Thrive is a book and it's a company by Ariana Huffington. Yeah, very good. I uh, couldn't, I could not yeah. agree more. So Liana, She also wrote a book called The Sleep Revolution, which again is why my sleep is so important and <laughs> I have to get eight hours a night or I feel like a zombie and I can't get through all my entrepreneurial hustle and bustle um, and my workouts at the same time. So yeah, got to invest in a good pillow for sure. Yeah, very good. And Aliana, so thank you so much. And um, for the listeners, uh, I think they will be interested after this episode to, to get uh, to know you better and more. Where can they find you? Where can they find your book? 
Well, um, my website is youngfunfree.com. My book is called Young, Fun, and Financially Free, and it's on all the different Amazons and love for anyone to grab that. Again, 100% of the proceeds go to charity, so it would be a great thing to do. Um, I am on Instagram at Leanna, L-E-A-N-N-A underscore Hawk, H-A-W-K, and that's because the name of my company is Blackhawk Financial, and my last name is Hawkins. So from a very young age, the brokers and guys I was working with called me Little Hawk. So it's <laughs> Liana underscore Hawk on Instagram um, and Liana Blackhawk on Twitter. And you can just kind of find me everywhere else. Liana Hawkins official on Facebook and I'm on LinkedIn. If you want to add me, um, feel free to ask any questions. I have a big launch coming out, which is so exciting for me in the new year. Um, I'm partnering with a major media company to launch a new personal finance website. And I don't know what it's going to be called yet. I actually am in charge of figuring that out. (laughs) Um, So I would love any suggestions. If you guys have any ideas for the names of Nate, cool names of a personal finance website, DM me on Instagram at Leanna, L-E-A-N-N-A underscore H-A-W-K. And for the best response, I am going to mail you a copy of Young, Fun, and Financially Free because I really need some help brainstorming. So yeah, stay tuned for the launch of my new website um, with Ampli Media. And yeah, please help me try to figure out what I'm going to name it. <laughs> okay, very good. And as well, as we talked about in the episode, if you... Um, if you follow Liana on Instagram, comment on her pictures. Yes, please. I would love it. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. So Liana, thank you again so much. And I'll speak to you next time. Sounds good. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure having uh, Liana to discuss with. She's not only fun, but I always learn something new. And I hope you did too. And here are my key takeaways for today. First things first. Liana encourages you to uh, define your financial nirvana, as she says, or your best life. Some other says your rich life. And define what is it you want in life. Uh, what, what type of lifestyle do you want? Do you want a, a home with two cars and a white picket fence, as she says? Or do you want to travel the world? Do you want to have a big trip with your family every year, etc.? What are your wishes? What do you want? This will allow you to start planning around that wish, around that lifestyle. And with regards to the approach of millennials towards personal finance, the statistics are indeed scary. I was uh, quite surprised, actually, that only 24% uh, passed the test of basic financial knowledge. I've linked up the test in the show notes so you can try it out for yourself and see if you're financial literate or not. The test is US-based, though, so uh, there are a few questions uh, specific to the US market, such as uh, retirement account and uh, 401ks, etc. So you can skip those, but then you can see for yourself. And there are questions about um, interest rates and loans, etc., mortgages. So this can apply for all of us. So yeah, test it out for yourself and uh, let me know how you did. <laughs> and I really enjoyed uh, Liana's explanation as to why there's a true lack of financial literacy. She says that back in the 50s, nothing was automated, actually, because, yeah, okay, there was no uh, internet, etc. So... You went to the bank, you got your paycheck, and this is the place where you learned about uh, yeah, money and investing. And today, everything is uh, much more automated, of course. Both your income and expenses are automated, but as well, the distractions are automated. Huh? You go uh, on internet to find out about opening a brokerage account, but you end up on social media or you uh, clicked on a sale, etc. 
So on the one hand, there's never been so many books, so many websites, podcasts, blogs on uh, personal finance. But on the other hand, there have never been as many distractions as today. And talking about social media and distractions, if you're not already following Liana or myself on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, etc., please do so. All the links are in the show notes. And number two, yeah, don't be a stranger, as we said on the show. Please uh, comment on our pictures, on our tweets, etc. And uh, and we highly welcome uh, DMs, so direct messaging. We'll be glad to help, to assist, or answer any financial questions, or even if it's about a food picture, <laughs> we, we love it too. So please do so. Please do follow us and uh, yeah, comment and like our pictures. And regarding stocks, here are a few guidelines that we discussed on uh, during the show, which uh, I thought was uh, quite interesting to, to note. If you want to enter the stock markets, but you haven't yet, as Liana says, you have to. And of course, you should be diversified, huh? so you don't have all your eggs in one basket, the stock markets in this case. So be diversified with the other asset classes such as bonds, real estate, treasuries, REITs, and there are so many more uh, investing opportunities. And if you're young, time will be your friend because the younger you are, the better it will work out for you because in the case of a market recession, you will have time to recover the losses. And should a market recession happen, do not sell your equities. Just don't touch them. That's, that was the message. I also liked uh, hearing her say that, in fact, you do not need to know 1% of what is being talked on uh, financial TV shows or in the financial press. If you focus on the basics, you should be more than fine, actually, with your investments. And the last point about stocks is that ETFs are a great way to start investing in equities, actually. It gives you diversification at a low cost. Um, just a quick definition of what is an ETF in case you missed it. So an ETF stands for Exchange Traded Fund, and it's simply a, a basket of securities, such as bonds, stocks, or commodities, that trade on an exchange just like a stock. And as you heard on the show, I also made my mistakes when I uh, was starting out. So I invested in companies without doing proper my proper research, my due diligence. So yeah, I, uh, luckily in the case of Apple, it turned out well. But if you're starting out, I would recommend to just put a few hundred uh, euros or dollars just to, to play with a bit, to, to learn how, it, how things go, because that's in the end the best education. Trying out for yourself and see if it's something for you. And the last key takeaway for today is about a chapter in, um, in her book, Young, Fun and Financially Free, which I highly recommend to anyone wanting to get ahead with their finances. And it is about building your dream team, which is a huge part of adulting. It is simply about knowing who you can reach out to for advice in various areas of your life. And these can be lawyers, notaries, contractors, mortgage brokers, and so on and so on. And I thought that was absolutely a brilliant tip from the book that is uh, not usually talked about. So yeah, if you have, uh, for example, some friends that have uh, renovated their house, they're happy with the results and with the contractor, why not already take the phone number of the contractor? You might not need it right away, but maybe in three, five years when you renovate your house. So it's always good to be prepared. <laughs> so that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at Johnny Talks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening, and I'll speak to you next time.